Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. They talk, talk, talk about, talk about songs. We certainly do talk about songs because it beats talking about the weather, but today we're going to do both. I'm your co host, Sarah DeBunting, and I'm here, as always, with the splendid. Mark Blankenship. Hello, Mark. Hi, I'm a little-known American pretending to be a hot German. <laughs> I mean, you're doing a great job. <laughs> Thank you. You're doing a great uh, job. So we are going to be talking about, in case you haven't already gleaned, Millie Vanilli today. And I... I'm just grateful, Sarah, that the time has finally I, come. It does seem like, well, I feel like we have mentioned them in passing so many times that they're like the um, disgraced Rihanna of this podcast. <laughs> there are so many patron saints of this podcast in various weird ways. Allison Krauss, um, Yvonne Elliman, of course. It, of course, uh, yes. Madonna, yeah, naturally. What's with all the L's also? Elliman, Allison... Yeah. Illy, Illy. Millie. Um, But this is actually a listener request, and it's relatively recent. Um, We have a voicemail from Dan. Uh, Once again, Google Voice decided that his name was Dam. Like, Dam. Which is... I wish I was your lover. Which makes for, as ever, an amazing transcript. Yeah. Also, it thought, um, when he asked about the song, that he was asking about Psalms. And in a way, I mean, are they not in I their mean, way? Yay. The, the we walk through the valley of the shadow of lip syncing. Uh, I don't even know. Let's hear from Dan. Hey, guys. It's uh, your old friend Dan, uh, the one who did the Magnolia episode, um, or the one you had the Magnolia episode about that song. Anyway, forget me. Uh, I have a great idea for you guys. Um, I would really like to hear your take on any Millie Vanilli song. I would like to know how you guys feel about the whole controversy around them versus if you think the songs were actually good and if they like hold up even though we know that it wasn't the singers who were sold to us. Uh, I think you guys would have a really interesting take on that and I'd love to hear it. So just an idea. Uh, hope everything is well and I'll keep listening. Bye-bye. Dan, thank you so much for calling. Uh, we love getting voicemails from our listeners, and we loved getting this request, obviously. And listeners, if you would like to leave us a voicemail in which you make a request or just say anything you'd like, you can just give us a call at 646-389-0767. That's 646-389-0767. And Sarah, I think without further ado, we should announce that we have specifically chosen to listen to a clip from Blame It on the Rain by Millie Vanilli. Um, what were their other songs? They cause... had they had Girl I'm Gonna Miss You. Of course, shit. Uh they had Girl You Know It's True. It's Girl You Know It's True. And then That's the one I remember. Yeah. They, they had like they had five hits from their first album, which I'm now, if you can hear clicking in the background, I'm going to just quickly look up their discography because I want to make sure that I get this correct. But it was a uh, girl, you know it's true. Baby, don't you lose my number, or baby, don't forget my number. Girl, you know it's true. Baby, don't forget my number. 
Blame It on the Rain, Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You, and All or Nothing. So, Baby, Don't Forget My Number, Blame It on the Rain, and Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You were all number one singles that in America. That's so crazy that, like, that I'm like, but they really only had the one song, right? But they uh, totally but they didn't. Had... And you know who else I think this about is Color Me Bad. Oh, yeah. Like, they had oh, two no, number one course. hits. Yeah. Um, but they had Millie Manili had three number one singles. Uh, and then they also reached number two with Girl, You Know It's True. And they reached ooh, number four ooh, with ooh, I'm not I Love singing. You. Yeah, exactly. And they reached number four with All or Nothing. And um, But I, I specifically decided to plead the case for Blame It on the Rain for a variety of reasons, which we will get into. But I think first we should um, hear the clip. Yes, let's do that. This is true for you, Mark, but knowing now what we know, it is like not possible for me to imagine that it was not obvious that this is not them singing. Yeah, it clearly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like we should take a moment um, because I work with quite a few people uh, who are really awesome adults, but they are under the age of 30 and they had never heard of Millie Vanilli. Mm. So. Before we go any further, I think we should just let people know, if you do not know what we're talking about, the potted history is this. <laughs> Millie Vanilli was uh, a duo that sang pop, R&B, dance, fusion songs. Their first album, and really only album of any note, came out in 1989. And it was revealed that they were not, in fact, the singers on their album. That the two men, Rob and Fab... German models had been hired just to provide the look of Millie Vanilli, but a group, not just two, but a whole passel of R&B session singers had been hired to sing on their hits. And Sarah, I don't think it would be understating it to say that a melee erupted in the United States when it was discovered. Well, I believe that this it was a literal melee. This is probably the most famous episode of Behind the Music. Ever. Yes, it was the and very first, and it was the first episode of Behind the Music ever. It was the premiere of the whole series, and that is an extremely wise choice on VH1's part. Um, I believe they show this clip seventeen times, sometimes in slow mo, sometimes in reverse. I don't. Was it at the Grammys? No, when the track started to skip. Yeah, it wasn't it was at the at Grammys, a, although they did win a Grammy for either well, this song or this album. It was at an amusement park that I recently went to for their haunted Halloween experience called Lake Compounds. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And it's now haunted by The Rob. ghost of Millie Vanilli's... Uh, yeah, so it, that's a, it's a theme park in Bristol, Connecticut. But yeah, so um, they were started, performing... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Um, they were performing and the record started skipping and they just fled the yes. stage, which is like, I mean, the the whole thing is 
is bad and it's it's not their fault but first of all how how do you not have a plan for if this happens because i think it was like received wisdom that many performers used a used a vocal track in performance especially if they were dancing because yes. Vanilli also had like a trademark dance yes oh with god the side yes they scissor did kicks yes and the video i mean the video is like extremely of its time but also i think fab's mic is at like thigh level and he's like squatting to sing into it and there's this very weird like shaman dance that he's doing for reasons yes. and and that was the start of the downfall of Millie Vanilli. And then it was revealed. Uh, then then it started to snowball. There are now people then came out saying, oh, right. When they came into MTV to be interviewed, their poor grasp of English made it doubtful that they had sung on their records. And then uh, when they won the Grammy for Best New Artist, that's the Grammy that they won. Right. That was when the shit really hit the fan. And uh, I know that we talked about this on the Indigo Girls episode where we ranked the album Indigo Girls because they beat the Indigo Girls for Best New Artist that year. No, what happened? Because they had to give the Grammy back, right? Yes. But so that, who so ended up with it? Did they just nobody. not? It was, it is, there is now no Grammy given for Best New Artist of that year. So they beat Soul to Soul. Uh, they beat Indigo Girls. And they beat some other folks whose legacy is not nearly as strong. But... The fact that they beat Indigo Girls is obscene. It is on any level, because how could you listen to the two albums and not choose the Indigo Girls, but whatever. Um, but so then they, when it was revealed that they had not sung, because the singers who actually did the singing started making noise and and eventually it just all came out, they were forced to give Well, and they look absolutely the- like the singer, the primary singer looks like a lost Neville. yes. Like, no, no real resemblance. Like, these are, like, this is an African-American, and that's just about it in terms and, of the commonality. Yes. So they were forced to give the Grammy back. It's the only time a Grammy has been rescinded. And, uh, you know, it was a huge embarrassment for the Grammys, for the music industry. And you're so right to go back to an earlier statement. Now that we know, they did such a piss poor job of hiding it. Yeah, they really did. Like, and by the time you get to the behind the music, like their English is a little better and they've sort of developed a little bit more of a, not a sense of humor exactly, but like more sang Freud about the entire situation. But like right. my memory of this as a cultural event is that first of all, it was rippling outward for like two years Yes, that this was happening on like SNL skits, um, they did the a pe- Wrigley's Gum commercial, Billy Vanilli, where they were yes. pretending to sing to an opera track. And yeah. I mean, it, like, it just kept going. But it was also like, <laughs> I, I was a senior in high school or like starting college when all of this was going on. And it seemed like that was also when I was starting to tip over in my musical taste into more of a like alternative indie. Um, preference versus right. like top 40 or classic rock, which is what I grew up listening to and still liked. But the, this sound of the nineties was like, it, it 
continues to sound ersatz to me a lot of the time. And I think a big part of that is a subconscious association with this event. Um, And in my notes, when I was prepping this song, I was like, I know that we do this on this podcast, that we try to like assess the song. I do not think it's possible to assess this song, which is basically a, like a placeholder track that staggered to life and terrorized the countryside before, you know, Dr. Um, Hittenstein finally killed it. Terrible metaphor, bear with me. Uh, but it was, it was omnipresent. Uh, it has an entire cart of cultural baggage and it's so of its time that orally it almost disappears. Hmm. It's like, um, when you light the wrapper of a amaretto cookie and it just like flies up towards the ceiling and you're like, mm, okay, like now it's gone. Like I can't, I sort of can't get my arms around it as a song. I will respectfully disagree. Okay. I think that blame it on the rain is actually a great pop song that is not even particularly well performed by the people who were actually singing yeah. it. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, I would agree with that. It has what we've talked about before, which is that chintzy sound. Mm-hmm. But it was written by none other than Diane Warren, who knows her way around a pop hook. And I do think that, like, the, you gotta blame it on the rain. I think that there is a potential in this song for it to be awesome. Like, if Taylor Dane had sung this oh yeah it would probably be enjoyable to this day but i feel like that blame oh it my on the god rain. she should have sung this or terrence trent darby oh if you think about if you think about um all the other songs that were popular around this time like information society terrence trent darby was huge around this time like right how easily any of those artists could have slotted you could have slotted this song in to them or even like this is crazy but i have a strong memory of like amy grant being in the mix on on pop radio at this time and it's like give it to her that's not a false memory it really happened (laughs) i I knew that you would either confirm or deny give it to modern uh, english see what they do with it like this is just kind of like i've i've got no kick with it it is a it is a solid pop song. It's got good bones, but it definitely like once you know that this was basically the what is the official term for this placeholder track where they just sing Oh, like a scratch? Yeah. Once yeah. you know that this is basically the scratch track that they like buffed up a little and put some more synthesizers on it and they're like, Here's a special dance then you can't you sort of can't help wondering well, what might have been different. That to me is actually the biggest loss because I think like I think it would be baller if like Adele covered this song now or just somebody decided to say, you know what, Blame It on the Rain is a good song and I'm going to do it. And here's why I think it would actually be baller for even someone like Lady Gaga to do it. One of the things that I think happened around the Millie Vanilli crisis was this moment of Americans getting all upset to realize that a lot of pop music is just fake and you know euro dance was blamed for a lot of that because at the time i mean understandably this was also the 
roughly the same time that Martha Wash was being denied credit for her vocals in Black Box songs and CNC Music mm. Factory songs. So there was this, and also Technotronic was not showing uh, the woman who actually rapped on the Technotronic songs and the videos. They were putting models in the videos while uh, the woman who was rapping for Technotronic was being pushed into the background just as the voice. So this is a moment when there are so many cases of the artificiality of pop music uh, coming to the fore. And you have the lingering misogynistic homophobic disco hatred still happening in the late 80s and, and I racist feel like, as well like we've talked racist, about how yes, many, many times, times motown did this to artists that they're like well who cares who's singing it and the vandellas are like well we do yeah like fuck the crystals you, you know fuck you the, pay me the crystals get all the credit but the blossoms do all the work yeah and, and it's in but that story was never as big a story as this story and it's this weird thing in America where we always love to act all affronted like our sainted innocence has been taken from us when actually we've been feeding the machine with more blood and bones than any other country in the world. And that doesn't apply just to pop music. It applies to every fucking thing. But there was something about America's puritanical ire getting raised that made Millie Vanilli and then all of the things that yeah. sounded like Millie like Vanilli pay the price. pop music is a meritocracy. Okay. Right, exactly. And even though it's clearly created in a studio and there are no real instruments, I still demand that it have authenticity. And God, you could really call this uh, podcast Mark and Sarah talk about songs and the question of authenticity. <laughs> we talk about this a lot. But I think that the long tail of the Millie Vanilli problem is that we were forced to shift our stance on what is quote unquote authentic because I feel like also – it was only a few years later that grunge and uh, gangster rap. I was just going to bring that up. That it was like, d- was that a reaction to this? I think it was a reaction to a lot of things, but this, right. like your mention of CNC Music Factory, which is like, my brother got that from for his birthday that year for one of his from one of our uncles, and he was just like, blink, like he was whatever in a band and learning to play guitar and having the ponytail and this was not going to be his thing right he was like a you know let's examine jimmy page's hand in slow-mo on this led zeppelin concert videotape to see what he's doing guy right um and well, you know, those things can coexist, but CNC Music Factory always struck me as extremely product. Um, not that I didn't enjoy hearing the songs on the radio when I was like driving to work, but there was like no pretense that this was not an assemblage. Um, yes. And one of the reasons that I actually appreciate CNC Music Factory is that they put the word factory right there in the name of the group. Yeah. Like, thank you. If it had just been like Billy Vanilli LLC. <laughs> and they'd worn masks like the residents or something. But like, it's so right. funny that um, the residents, it's the residents, right? The ones who dressed with the eyeball heads. Oh, maybe. I have no idea. Okay. It was like this sort of art rock, you know, who are the residents thing that I think 30 years ago was like a big whoop. Um, mm. Basically, it was half the talking heads. Doesn't matter. Um, listeners at me, if I'm getting this cultural history wrong, I don't have the book I read this in in front of me at the moment, but the, 
with the residents, it was like, well, they've completely masked their identities and they're asking you to figure out who they are from the music while claiming that they don't want you to figure it out. And this is pre-internet, so this kind of mystery was a little different. It was like doing pension spotting on the Upper West Side back in the day. Right. Um, But that, like, that is cool and arty. Right talking heads adjacent so it's like a fun um thought experiment but the difference is i would argue is that the artists are driving the artifice in a situation like that or when when lady gaga puts on any of her personae or you know even god bless and god forgive the black eyed peas like that artificial quality to their music it's coming from the people who are performing the music but then when you have someone like millie vanilli who literally they're just puppets that have been placed there by an outside source and they have zero agency it is uh understandably i suppose more offensive than when we feel like we're being intentionally duped or when david bowie is creating a theatrical experience or whatever so yeah i mean and especially that they're that they're black artists that um uh one of them uh, here is an interesting not interesting that's tragic i guess um rob died um, yes of an overdose of a drug overdose uh not long after well i think they made an updated behind the music to include this right that was 1998 Van Brunt Stillhouse makes distinctive farmhouse-style whiskeys in the heart of Brooklyn. Van Brunt's unique family of American whiskeys are made on-site with New York State grain from a family farm near Ithaca in the Finger Lakes region. Van Brunt's spirits represent their unique voice within traditional whiskey styles that showcase the flavorful essence of the grains. You can experience Van Brunt Stillhouse firsthand by visiting the distillery in Red Hook, Brooklyn. The distilleries open Thursday through Sunday for whiskey tastings, cocktails, and distillery tours. Check out their website at www.vanbruntstillhouse.com. While you're there, check on their store locator map to see a list of local New York City retailers that carry the Van Brunt Stillhouse whiskeys. You can also follow them on Instagram at vanbrunt underscore whiskey. That's whiskey with an E. Van Brunt Stillhouse, the original spirit of Brooklyn. I, ca- I just can't believe I can't believe that much time has passed since his death. And right. they had apparently like made an album like for real and they were about to start touring behind it. And I guess Rob was like, whether subconsciously or consciously was like, mm, uh, tonight seems like a good night to mix booze and pills. Right. Which he did. He perished. And, quote, the album has never been released. That I find amazing. That no vulture has come and, like, found these tracks and tried to monetize them. Yes. Ugh. Seriously. And I actually would like to hear them. Like, what did you guys end up deciding to do with this singular event that kind of befell you? But, you know, here's the thing. I'm not sure how... 
I think it is a tragedy that he had an OD, that he OD'd. But it's not like they were forced to go pretend to be pop stars. Like, they knew what they were doing. Like, it, it's such an interesting, morally complicated thing. Oh, yeah. Because... No, I'm not suggesting that they were, like, 11 years old and were exploited. But I do think, you know, I think being a person of color in Europe is not necessarily always a better deal than it right. is here and that perhaps they were not uh equipped well, to handle what would happen when it went wrong because I think right. they weren't given good tools to support the pretense either like at least get, give them elocution lessons and a backup plan if the CD has a scratch on it shit's sake that well, that's one of the things that I find so flabbergasting about this. You know that you're perpetrating this enormous scam, and you don't work harder to insulate yourself from the f- potential fallout. Yeah, like once you have a Grammy, seal that shit off. Yes, what are you doing? And another thing is, I say that they are, of course, culpable. But if someone came to me and said, Mark. You just have to lip sync and go around the world lip syncing and you're going to become rich and famous. I would probably say yes. Like it I, it would be I would know consciously that I what I was doing was wrong, but I think it would be difficult to say no, especially if I were 19 and you know, uh, struggling to make it in Germany or whatever. Like yeah, I what understand. you're trying to do is be a model yeah. and get your face out there like sure. And I think that one of the things that makes the Millie Vanilli story so uncomfortable is that it forces us to accept or at least witness how much we commodify people and art. Mm, and yeah. that there that we want we live in this culture that simultaneously it presents us with the idea of art as sacrosanct and art as commodifiable. And we do the same thing with the human soul, quite frankly. And you look at something like this and you want to blame the the sound of the music or the the you want to blame the producer. You want to blame Millie Vanilli the, or Robin Fab. But what you really have to blame is the fact that that's capitalism. And we we live in a world where there's actually impossible to get pure anything, including art. And I think that. It makes us angry, especially in America, when that artificiality is rubbed in our noses. We reject. Sometimes it's like it goes too far somehow. Well, yeah, it's interesting that we're we're couching it or we're framing it in terms of blame. Maybe it's just a value neutral. Maybe we should thing. blame it on the rain. And scene. <laughs> But you were saying value neutral. Sorry. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I really don't feel that we should continue because that was a perfect mic drop. But yeah, like maybe blame. Like we we are sort of made uncomfortable and um, resentful for some reason. Like they're getting away with something. And I think that like uh, JT Leroy right. um, is another example of this. Perfect uh, example. Which... Who was recast as Sweetie on Law and Order with Heather Matarazzo. Oh, my God, which is, and it's such a good episode. I love that episode. Uh, Um, Seriously. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there is a reaction. There's like a knee jerk. 
um, angry, uh, like approbation or just sort of like um, self-righteous uh, anger in response to this. That's like, but you you have to know that this is a this is a huge machine. And yes. I'm not sure there's anyone to quote blame, except as you said, capitalism, and then we're all complicit. But I, yes. I think maybe a gentler way to think about. I mean, not that we have to be gentle to pop music. Pop music is fine, and it does not need my help. It, the musicians need our help and understanding. I think, but there's this. I think just taking a like broader view of how art is made and being a little more just interested in the process versus judging who's in it. Yes. If that makes any sense. I may have crossed the line into too much coffee and now I don't, now words don't mean what I think they do. (laughs) Well, here's how I'm hearing what you're saying. I, I, this is my Blame immediate response. Because I'm going crazy. See, you know the tune still because Diane Warren is not here to fuck with you or deliver you a shitty product. No. But Millie Vanilli didn't do well enough by her and comes back to an earlier point. Anyway, um, I feel like what I'm hearing from that is there are lots of ways to create a good song. One of those ways is through the method that we would consider, quote unquote, pure, where a person or group of people sits with real instruments in a room and create something together. And I can say with from personal experience that those moments are transcendent and can be incredibly powerful. And I am so grateful to have been able to listen to songs all my life that were created through that method. Another way of creating a piece of music is through committees and the songwriting factories that are very publicly acknowledged now that create yeah, hits for lots of people. The saber metrics of pop sound that's like it needs to be at exactly this speed for and I think, dancing. Like, okay. And I think that if and like you said, value neutral, those are just think those are just ways that songs are created and there's no yeah. denying shitty things can be made in both camps or in all the camps in between and wonderful things can be made. And it, it, it's one of the sad things about the Millie Vanilli thing is if I feel like if it happened now, I don't think that people would try to pass it off. I feel like they would work the, the lip syncing into it somehow. Like I think that we, we want, we have evolved now in our thinking about this kind of thing to the point where we would, be cool with it if it was like well these people are lip syncing it's like with Sia she doesn't want to show her face okay so these Rob and Fab are the faces of Millie Vanilli yeah like these people are like yeah you know what I have kids and I don't want to chore Rob Fab take it away yeah and then you could like spin it into an art experience and Vulture would write about it and it would be fine yeah it it's just that's so fascinating to me to think because it's fascinating to me to think about how we would respond to it now because, you know, you also think about, again, we both read that book, The Song Factory. Max Martin sits there, like, making great songs on a conf- on a, on an assembly line. And, and, I, and, you know, I think it's the we have now trained our ears to listen for the things in that type of music that can still sound authentic, even as we've also trained our ear to accept 
the certain types of falseness that are in the more quote unquote authentic types of music, for instance, pitch correction on a vocal. Like well, that's the thing. Like, yeah. I love the Stone Roses, but that dude cannot sing in a straight line. This yeah. is a known thing. Finding that out hurt my feelings. And then I was like, why do I care? Like, the finished product is fine. And now that I know that I shouldn't pay money to hear him in concert because it'll sound like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Right. That's 50 bucks I'm not spending on that. And I'm just going to enjoy the Stone Roses studio albums, which is, you know, that's fine. You just said yes. Yes. But it's like, why did that? Why was I, like, offended by that? I mean, no one's paying to hear me sing either, so... That's such a great point, and you just perfectly described, going back to the Britney Spears episode, I don't need to ever pay money to see Britney Spears in concert because it's so obvious that she's not singing, but I can still enjoy what happened when she got in a studio and a thousand computers helped her make Oops, I Did It Again. Yeah, like people being like, oh my God, the auto tune on shares, whatever is out of control. And it's like, is it though? I think it's perfectly controlled because have you been in a gay bar where you haven't heard this song? Yeah. And what you said is so right. I, like, I feel like control is in play. Yeah, Control. It's actually hyper controlled. Yeah. You're but talking you, about it right now. You're being controlled. What you said though is so right. Like there are, let's just choose the context in which we would like to enjoy these things. And why be offended by it? I, it's a, it's a, I actually don't know the answer to that question. And there is still a little part of me that does want to rise up in defense of... There is part of me that does want to be offended. But I, as I sit here with you and think about it, like, why? I know what it is. I don't have to listen to it or pay money for it. It's just, it exists. And I, why be offended? Well, I think I think it's the subterfuge. Or, mm-hmm. um, and I think especially if you are a working musician that you look at um, more machined pop and you feel like there's no place for you right. and what you do and the many, many shitty open mics in which you had no time to tune and you had to sort of sit awkwardly on this stool and say, and you had a cold and you showed up and you took your, you know, $8 and your drink ticket and you're like... Uh, you know, and then you look at whatever, Brittany, and you're like, how does this person who may not be able to live in the world without a conservatorship have a residency in Vegas? And right. I I get it. I I get the resentment from gigging musicians. I get, like, if you're working in a genre where you don't have that kind of net like I, I don't think most like alternative stars feel like that's open to them. But as consumers, I think we need to fucking get over it and just be like, right. okay, it it takes a fucking village to make a song. Like to, that's how it is, right? And and you can choose or, not to engage with it. So or it doesn't and you can go listen to those songs and I can go listen yeah. to those songs and I think that you're also right to make the distinction I am offended as an artist on behalf of these things but I cannot be offended as a consumer of popular song because well, yeah. they those songs as we have talked about hundreds of times now those songs do bring great pleasure and to 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 dem- 
it's like we have to allow ourselves to live in a gray zone. Yeah. What, what you just said about understanding why people are offended, I think, I, I, personally speaking, I am a very good critic. I just am. I trained. I'm very good at it. I have mastered uh, and perfected the skills of arch criticism. But I live in a culture where there aren't as many opportunities for me to get paid to do that work and make a living. And where some clickbait shit poster is, you know, gets a book deal. Like, yes, I and get it. I, that, it, I it's, it's in, it can be dispiriting and upsetting yes. and infuriating, as you and I have talked about offline, like our whole friendship. Yeah, exactly. And I. I have taken the time, you and I both have taken the time, if I may speak for you, we have taken the time to perfect a skill that very few people seem to agree is as valuable as we think it is. And I think that those musicians might feel the same way. And I totally get the soul sickness that comes with thinking about that. But then I also have to acknowledge that as a consumer... I have space in my heart sometimes to read a stupid clickbait story about all six of the actresses who have played the Carol King role in Beautiful on Broadway, or to listen to Blame It on the Rain and hear that Diane Warren, once again, managed to construct the perfect plastic egg. Yeah. And so, it's full of candy. And before we drift too far away from this idea of the candy in the plastic egg, I do want to go back to... The fury that erupted in this country, especially uh, because of that revelation, the record company was forced to give refunds to millions of people in the United States who had bought that album. I forgot about and, that. And I think that is hilarious because it's like, y'all, you bought the Millie Vanilli album. You dug your own fucking grave on that one. <laughs> yeah. I remember thinking that, that I was like, um... I, I feel like maybe that's a stupid tax, but okay. Because like, you can hear all of the good songs for free on the radio 24 fucking seven. Why are you spending and, money? And having done some research for this episode, let me tell you that not even all of the singles are the good songs because the song All or Nothing is terrible. Mm. There are precisely three good Millie Vanilli songs and they had five chart hits. So you do the math. Um mm. And America, you know, but also, America are dumb. Well, but then the rage also extended into um, America's sitcoms. And Sarah, even though there are people that I have met multiple times whose names I still cannot remember, I can remember with alarming clarity the plot of a single Perfect Strangers episode that aired in the early 90s. And thank God for Hulu... <sighs> Because I was able to rewatch and basically was mouthing along to the lines, even though I had only seen this episode once. But there is an episode of Perfect Strangers where Balky, the the premise is shaky, but Balky is overheard in the offices of the newspaper where he works with Cousin Larry just talking. And a record producer happens to be walking through the offices of the newspaper for no reason that anyone ever explains and decides immediately that he can make Balky a star. So he offers Balky a record deal on site, and Balky immediately accepts and becomes rebranded as Fresh Young Balky B. And then he brings all of his friends over to watch the premiere of his music video and is shocked to see that his voice has been dubbed with someone else. His producer says, well, I've got you, I own you, you can't do anything to stop what I'm doing. So then he and Cousin Larry 
decide that at a press conference for the for the fresh young Valky V album and tour, they're going to perform a rap song that reveals the sordid truth. And here is a clip of the revelatory rap that fresh young Valky V and MC Cousin perform on Perfect Strangers. Oh, God. I was singing on the job, you see. The man said he'd make a star out of me. He cut a record, shot a video, too. But when we saw it, something didn't ring true. Was set to groove and had my friends around. My lips were moving, but there wasn't my sound. What we heard wasn't our choice. Clive Enright dubbed in a new voice. None of his acts sing their own song. What went down, we think was terribly wrong. Neon, Leon, Jesse, Jake of the Jukes Have no talent, they're just lip-syncing flutes Lionel to Lionel and Untamed Jane Their story is sadly the same Even jump back Jimmy Mack Couldn't carry a tune in a paper sack Take it from fresh young Balky B And his cousin MC What you're hearing ain't what you see And singing a lie just ain't for me Cause the songs moving up his hit parade Are all a part of Enright's charade But you got the power to end his game So tell the world Clive Enright's to blame Enright's to blame Clive (laughs) I mean, Uh, I will also (laughs) say that like Talk about it's not irony exactly. Let's say that there's a meta enjoyability to the extremely artificial situation of this sitcom uh, <laughs> doing this. Because, you know, I was not a big Perfect Strangers fan, but. Uh, let me tell you, looking back on it. That's actually I... not a bad rap. Like, it, it's no worse <laughs> than anything else. I feel like it's definitely at the level of some local car commercials that mm-hmm. I've seen. Yeah. Or like um service and service and friendliness are our two values. We want to give you a Subaru. Oh yeah, no, uh I can't there's a there's a few. Like I live in the land of car dealerships and uh, <laughs> there's a few that uh I mean it's like out of focus and they're they're rapping about Hyundai's. Sure. But I just feel like, in case anyone thinks we're kidding about how deeply into the culture this story went, Perfect Strangers stands as Exhibit C. Mm. Um, but one thing I want to add, Sarah, because now that I'm, I'm very tantalized by this question of outrage and why we should or shouldn't feel outrage and how it's actually possible to be outraged in some part about this story, but then on the other side be like, eh, it's, it's very confusing, actually. It's so morally uh, gray uh, perhaps we need more Millie Vanilli type arguments in our lives in these sadly unnuanced political times. Anyway, one thing that I think is actually shitty is that one of the members of Millie Vanilli died of an overdose while Frank Farian, the behind the scenes producer who assembled the whole project and whose idea it was to foist this lie upon the world, continued to make massive hits into the 90s, including LaBouche's Be My Lover. And the song, Where Do You Go by No Mercy. Where do you go, my lovely? Frank Farian got to make both of those hits and make a fortune from them. And then he eventually got to have a show on the West End about his time in the group Boney M. And that was just a few years ago. Like, Frank Farian created this monster, but gets to continue to have massive success, while Millie Vanilli, the... The 
guys who were the face of his monster got destroyed. And that is something that I find infuriating. If we are going to punish as a culture, well, we need to stop being so obsessed with punishing people all the time. But we also need to acknowledge our own hypocrisy when the person whose face we didn't see but is actually more responsible for what happened gets to get away scot-free. Yeah. No, I I mean, I would agree with that. There's, uh, like, I'm obviously not comparing them directly but i think that there is at a certain point you know you're you're offended or you're outraged at the acts of a a weinstein um but once he's caught and in the process of getting punished it's easy to put that down and Mm -hmm. and not interrogate who else permitted this to happen? Like, yes. not that I need his various assistants to face charges, but this was an entire culture that permitted this to happen. And, you know, a handful of people, uh, big name people almost got chewed up by it. And then a lot of people we've never heard of did get, you know, basically digested right. by this. And so, again, I'm not comparing being sexually assaulted by that monster to, you know, Robin Fab's uh, performative dilemma. But I, th- I think that part of a big part of what we respond to negatively is the sense that somebody is getting away with something. And yes. so to that point the, about Frank Farian, that it's like someone like someone is getting by with this at someone else's expense. And it does seem like something that we should be at least put off by. But again, I mean, maybe that was a, that was in poor taste to bring that up, but it's just like the, the environment that we're in, in late 2019 culturally as Americans is just Mm -hmm. like looking at people just doing whatever they fucking want and nothing fucking happens and talk about a charade. Yes. That's at the top right now. So it is an interesting time to be talking about this, what seems like a minor um, eruption culturally from 30 years ago, but I think it has things to tell us about what we get angry at in the culture and why and what we don't get angry at and why and who we need to be pointing those feelings at well said and who would have expected the moral knot that would arise in this conversation but i am pleased to be picking at it free fab (laughs) my last question for you is this I'm now going to read you the names of the other nominees for Best New Artist that year, because I went and looked it up. And in fact, I was wrong to suggest that it was just two people who had done interesting things. Actually, all four of these other artists were interesting and had hits that I still remember. So given these four choices, who to whom would you have given the Best New Artist Grammy? Nana Cherry, Indigo Girls, Tone Loke, mm. or Soul to Soul? Gosh. Oh my god, Tone Loke. 
I get paid to do the wild thing. Funky Cole Medina. <laughs> Funky um, Cole Medina. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that <laughs> that song is canceled, which is too bad because it. I mean, it's a nice break, but the lyrics. Woof. Nope. <laughs> yeah, seriously. No, woof. no, sir. Um, I think Indigo Girls, and at the time, I would have said Indigo Girls. I think so too. But Nina I think Cherry, maybe. I, I feel that Sarah, this is why this pod marriage works because <laughs> Indigo Girls are so good, but Nana Cherry felt like she was maybe breaking through yes. into something new. Yes. So do you reward the the two who are the act that's doing the thing that you've heard before, but doing it at a very high level? Or do you reward the person who's doing something that feels different and accessible at the same time? Right. Or do you reward the models who are lip syncing? to a badly produced version of a solidly written Diane yeah, Warren song. That the fact that the other two were that it was Tone Loke, Soul to Soul, and Nana Cherry, like that that is baffling to me that Millie Vanilli still managed to do it. But talk about art and commerce, like Yeah. The sense that sometimes the Oscars are rewarding the shit that people actually saw, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but again, we're back to transparency. Yeah. Well, I also think it's no accident that the next year's winner for Best New Artist was Mariah Carey, and they built this whole thing at the very start of her career around how she's really singing. And they went out of their way to be like, listen, this is actually real, everything she's doing. So I guess maybe another thing that Millie Vanilli opened was the door for all of the big-voiced singing that was running parallel to grunge and gangster rap because pop got taken over by people like Celine Dion and Mariah Carey, who could belt the shit out of things. And uh, I guess it's because they had to prove that it was really them. So we might blame it on the rain, but we also thank it for the pain. I mean, it falls mainly on the plane. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I hurt myself. Y'all, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, a.k.a. me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and it's edited by Sarah D. Bunting as well. Do you want to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at TalkSongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mastus.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of this podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastus, where you can get access to all kinds of cool bonus content and vote in our ranking episodes. Thanks for listening.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.